This is episode 53 with the 2016 indoor NCAA mile champion, four times All-American, and a University of Virginia school record holder in the 1500 meters, Mr. Henry Wynn. Hey everyone, it's Jason, and today I'm excited to be back in your ears talking about how to race the mile. We have Henry Wynn on the pod today, a sub four miler who in the last year has gone pro and now runs for the Brooks Beasts Track Club in Seattle. Henry has an unusual origin story. He's actually a former lacrosse player who had no interest in running, but his parents encouraged him to stick with the sport in high school. Actually, exactly how I started running, except Henry's a lot faster than I am. Fast forward about 10 years later, and today, he's a school record holder in the 1500 at the University of Virginia. He's an elite athlete sponsored by Brooks, and an incredible journey to the top by Henry. And, you know, we're going to talk a lot more about that on today's episode, but really what we're going to do is go into more detail on the training required to race a fast mile, the mindset that's needed, and the race strategies that are most effective for this short, fast event. I also want to say thank you to an anonymous listener who left a podcast review on iTunes under the name Addicted. This person said, I'm quickly becoming addicted to this podcast and have immersed myself in the info. The program is great for new and veteran runners. I learn a little bit from each episode regardless of the topic, even if I think it may not apply to my specific skill level. She goes on to say, I first listened to episode 42 and it helped me start turning things around. Every episode since has offered a valuable takeaway. Thanks for getting me out of my head and back into my sport. Man, I love this. Addicted, it's my pleasure. I'm just so glad to hear you're getting so much out of the podcast. That's the goal, and I'll make sure to continue publishing helpful episodes with interesting guests. Um, If you want to go back and check out episode 42, that's with my friend and fellow coach Mario Fraioli. We talk all about easy pace versus marathon pace, goal setting, and a lot more Q&A that I think you're going to love. And also, thanks in advance for your honest review. They truly make my day, and I really appreciate it. I also want to thank Inside Tracker, a company I really admire for sponsoring this show. They're doing a lot to help endurance athletes through their blood testing services. I had a test done last fall, and the results give you a really good picture of your internal physiology. So in other words, what's going on in your blood? And then you can implement science-based recommendations for everything from your training to nutrition and even supplementation if you need it. So head on over to InsideTracker.com to see their testing kits, and don't forget to use code STRENGTHRUNNING to save 10% on any test. For the runner who wants every advantage to get faster, Inside Tracker is an effective way to boost your performances. All right, let's dive into our topic of racing the mile today. Please welcome Henry Wynn. Henry, I'm excited you're here. You have excelled in my favorite event, actually, the mile. And today we're going to talk about the training and the race strategy of that event. So I'm pumped. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So I was reading up on about your career, Henry, and you actually started running as a way to stay in shape for lacrosse. And I think within a week, you ran like a 530 mile. Um, Was that the moment that you thought you had a future as a runner? Uh, No, I'd say I still didn't want to be a runner at that point. Uh, (laughs) My mom actually made me, she forced me to go to practice the first few days at cross country. And I came home and she'll tell you that I said I hated it. 
um, you know, she'd always joke around when I was younger in middle school, telling me, "Oh, you look at those guys running. That's going to be you one day." Because she, we had some runners in our family, but I was pretty against the idea at a young age. So I went out for for running just to stay in shape for lacrosse, and it was actually not until my sophomore year that I thought that I actually had a future when I ran one fifty five in the eight hundred. Uh, until that point, I was just kind of doing it for fun, messing around with my friends, getting ice cream during runs, that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's so funny because, first of all, we've learned that mom is always right. And you actually had a, the same start to running that I did. I went out for cross country. I actually thought it was like track. And, you know, my mother was like, oh, you can go high jump because I had fun with that in track and field week in middle school. And uh, <laughs> clearly, first day of cross country, I was in for a rough awakening <laughs> when it was all running. I felt like I had been run over by a truck after I couldn't even finish the first three mile run of practice. But, uh, you know, just like you, I, I just loved being a part of the team and you know, the, the guys were funny. We had a good time and you stick with it long enough. You start seeing some improvements and uh, you know, you start really getting more and more passionate about the sport. Yeah, definitely. I mean, one of my favorite things about running has to be the team aspect. And although a lot of people say running in general, isn't a team sport. I'd have to disagree. You know, you just, you go out there and you meet a lot of interesting people, a lot of people who you might not meet on other sports teams uh, primarily because my coach didn't make any cuts. So you had the guys who were ranging from, you know, people who are qualifying for states, maybe even nationals to people who are just out there for fun. So it was, it was good to have that uh, difference in people. And so you got to meet a, meet a wide range of personalities and something that was a lot different from uh, the lacrosse background that I'd come from. Yeah. I think uh, I had a similar experience. I was a basketball player and then you know, I, I stopped growing when everyone else kept growing. And I knew that at that point, I probably had to pick a different sport. But you're right. The community aspect of running is uh, just really something to be said for that. Now, I want to talk about the mile. This is an event that I don't think a lot of older recreational runners get the chance to race. You know, you don't have mile races, you know, locally all the time. Uh, and, and it's such a unique, interesting event to me. Uh, so, Henry, do you always consider yourself a miler? What what drew you to this event? I think the fact that I wasn't fast enough to be a hundred meter runner. Uh, I think everybody <laughs> starts out, you know, in high school thinking they're going to be the next Usain Bolt, and I just that was not panning out. So <laughs> I moved up a little further and kept going up until I found an event where I was actually competitive and. It took a little time to get to love because the training was definitely more running uh, harder and longer than I was wanting to do. But after a while, you get to really appreciate the mile just because it's one of those races where, A, it's nice that everybody knows what a good time is so you can talk about it, brag about yourself a little bit. B, uh, you know, it's one of the, the races, the top guys are really running fast from the get go. And so you don't have too much time to make mistakes. Yeah, that's what's interesting to me about it is that it's just it's just so short and technical and fast that, you know, in my mind, it's one of the most difficult events that you can really race. And I actually had a conversation with a friend of mine recently, and this is a guy he's run 225 in the marathon. He's pretty good. And, you know, now that we're both a little bit older, we're in our mid thirties, we both talked about how training for the marathon is actually so much easier than training for the mile because, you know, the mile requires you to do 
more technical training and, and workouts that are much more difficult to complete alone, I think, than, than a lot of marathon workouts where you're just grinding through a long but not particularly fast workout. And I think a lot of runners listening right now have not trained exclusively for such a short race like the mile. So I, th- I think discussing the training is really important here. Maybe we can start there, uh, start big picture. Um, so Henry, what kind of overall mileage do you normally run during the track season? Normally, uh, right now I'd say I'm about 70 to 75 and that'll, that'll go down when I start racing more, uh, right now next or this weekend, actually we have the U S champ. So it's a little bit of a lighter week. Um, but we'll boost back up before outdoor starts. And so I'd say my average would be anywhere from 60 to 70 miles a week. Um, with some guys doing the mile who are up in the eighties to nineties and some who are less, it just kind of depends on, uh, how you perform best and how, what your coach sees works best for you. Um, I just like to kind of trust the process and trust my coaching staff to kind of understand what's going to work best for me. And sometimes you have to give the feedback that you want to go more mileage, get a little stronger. And sometimes you realize that you're going to need the quicker turnover and to be able to close hard, especially in these championship races. Yeah. And, and I do want to talk about how you close a little bit later. Um, now in terms of, you know, we're kind of talking about mileage right now, what kind of long run might you run during say the early part of the season and then the mid and later part of the season? So this year is weird for me just because it's the first year. And since I've started doing track, I guess seven or eight years that I haven't had a cross country season, uh, just training, no racing. So we, uh, we took it a little easier in the beginning, especially cause I was coming back from a knee surgery. So I worked my way up to about 16 miles and that was the longest long run I've done in my life. And I was pretty happy staying there and just doing that for my long run, you know, 14, 15, 16, uh, is a range that I can enjoy and then not feel like I'm grinding too much if I were to go 18, 19 or higher than that. Yeah. It it seems to me that it's always funny when I hear milers talk about the mileage that they run, the long runs that they do, because, you know, the, the mileage levels are actually pretty high, you know, for, for, for the average runner, you know, you saying, oh, I run 70 miles a week and I'm training for the mile. That's a really high mileage level. And the first, I think, question someone might have is going to be, do you need to run that high mileage? Can you sell high mileage for milers to me right now? I think I could, can. I've been doing it for a while. Uh, I think, you know, a lot of people like to brag, especially milers, that they can run fast off lower mileage. But that is not for everybody, and it wasn't it hasn't been for me. I like to be a strength-based miler as opposed to some of my competition who would label themselves as a speed-based miler. Um, I just like doing the, the longer-distance stuff because you feel, even though you know I'm doing 70 miles a week and I'm only racing one mile come race time, I think it's important to feel very comfortable in your own race. So if you're doing higher mileage, you're going to build that strength. And so you'll be able to get through the first couple of laps and you, you'll look at yourself or you look at the time and say, wow, I'm feeling pretty comfortable and be ready for the big gear change that will happen towards the end of the race inevitably. Yeah, I think it's always comforting when I see milers like, uh, I think, Nick Willis from New Zealand. And I remember reading an article about his training and he was talking about his long run saying, you know, I feel the best in races and workouts when I can consistently run 18 to 20 miles for my long run. And that blew me away because most people think of those long runs and they, and they think to themselves, wow, those are marathon long runs, but in actuality, they're really not, you know, these are long runs that are going to support, 
um, you know, not just the long runs, but really the total mileage, the total workload that you're doing, all this aerobic work and and most of it is going to be at a fairly easy effort is really going to support your, uh, your workouts and, um, you know, the, the faster training sessions that you're doing. And I think the, the, the notion that you don't need high mileage for any event really that's mid distance and up is, is kind of misplaced. Yeah, definitely. And I would say that I feel the most confident in races or in racing season when I know that no matter what's thrown at me, if it's a really fast race from the get go, or if it's a slower kicking race, having that, uh, that, you know, that, uh, strength under my belt gives me the confidence to know that I could go from the gun if somebody wants to push the pace. And then later on, if I'm doing more speed work, then knowing that if they want to try to kick me down, they're going to have to do good work to, to beat me. Right. I was just, I, I forget if I was reading or listening to a podcast. It was a little while back. And there was this notion that, you know, in a race like the mile, the whole point is to get to roughly 600 or maybe 400 meters to go and be in a good position to kick hard and, and to make that as easy as possible. And I, I think when we're talking about mileage and long runs for, for milers and relatively short distance, middle distance runners, you know, getting to four, 600 to go and, and being in a position to kick, that's a strength question. That's an, and you know, how, how, much can you avoid, you know, acidosis and just taking a bath and lactate for the first, you know, 1200 meters or the first kilometer of the mile? Can you avoid that? And if you can, and that's through a lot of endurance work, then you're really going to be able to express your speed over that final quarter. And I think that's a maybe, maybe a helpful way to think about why middle distance runners run relatively higher miles. Definitely. And I mean, I think a lot of people have had, had it drilled into their mind that, the races are won in the off season. So summer training, cross country training, those higher mileage uh, portions of the year are really going to help you win the faster mile races come late in the season. And you'll hear, you know, high school NCAA coaches, pro coaches question like, how'd this guy get so good all of a sudden? And his coach will say, oh, maybe he had, or he had a good cross country season or he had a good su- year of summer training where he's getting higher mileage and just building strength. Yeah, that's, he's probably he's probably good because he's been running 100 miles a week for four months rather than 60 miles a week. You know, there's probably some sort of, um, you know, mileage reason for that. And, you know, I think the mileage, the long runs, those are the easy parts of training. I think when it comes to the mile, the workouts are the most complex part of training to race four laps around the track. Do you have any benchmark workouts where you know if you hit that workout, you're on track to to run a good mile? I would say something around, you know, if I'm doing 400 repeats and I'm feeling pretty comfortable running 60 flats, which is four-minute pace, then I know I'm going to be feeling pretty good if I can get maybe eight, eight 400s on short rest, 60 seconds, and just kind of cruising, then I'm pretty confident that I'll be able to transfer that into a race. Or if I'm just seeing that I'm doing good speed work and feeling comfortable closing fast in workouts. Um, you know, even the longer stuff you might do thousands or 1200s, if you're just feeling super strong and, you know, not like you're dying off towards the end, then that's a good benchmark to, to kind of know if you're going to race well and just give you confidence. Yeah. I mean, kind of as a coach, I always think about this question and, and I don't really like benchmark workouts because, you know, you can bomb a benchmark workout and it doesn't really mean anything. You could just be having a bad day. No big deal. You know, if you had done the workout a day earlier or a day later, maybe it would have worked out. Who really knows? 
When we hear pro runners like yourself talk about, you know, eight by 400 in 60 seconds on a minute rest, you know, that is kind of a Herculean effort for, you know, us mere mortals. Can you talk about, you know, how you prepare to run a workout like that? Not just, you know, say a four minute mile, but, you know, you obviously don't just jump into eight by 400 after, you know, a month of just easy base training. How do you kind of transition to a grueling kind of a, you know, more mile specific type of workout like that? Just going back to the, the base mileage, just building that up at first is important just to have the strength to even get through some of these longer efforts. Uh, obviously you, you, you know, not everybody's running 60 seconds, but whatever your own pace is, if you're just doing shorter intervals at first and just hitting those paces and then building and building, maybe you're doing 230 seconds for me and then maybe a 300 and then that's getting more comfortable just to the point where, you know, you're finally up to that 400 and you've done the pace a million times. So, you know, you're going through and, and you have the strength. And so you're able to put it, you string it together and do a couple in a row. You know, like you said, I'm not really a big fan of the benchmark workouts either. I, especially, you know, I'm not a coach, I'm just an athlete. So I would have, I would just do these workouts and my coach might be, might say something like, Oh man, last year you did this workout this much faster. And I hadn't even realized that I was doing the same workout. So it's not always good to, to judge yourself based on past performances, just because that can put a little extra stress on, on your workouts. Yeah. I can't agree more with that. And, you know, I, I like your suggestion of, you know, running the pace that you want to run for a certain interval or a certain repetition, but doing it for an even shorter distance. And then, you know, over time as your fitness builds, you know, you can start maybe at 200s and then, you know, you can run those 200s in 30 seconds and then you can start running 300s in 45 seconds. So you're kind of gradually building up to the workout length that you'll ultimately get to. Uh, the pace stays the same throughout the, you know, throughout these workouts, this progression of workouts, this kind of hypothetical that we're talking about. But I really like that because I think a lot of runners think about fast workouts and reps on the track and things like that. And they think they have to start with, uh, you know, longer, slower intervals, and then they make the intervals, uh, shorter and faster, but you know, there's so many different ways to coach runners. There's so many different ways to structure these kind of workouts. And I actually prefer the lengthening of the repetition over time, uh, but maintaining the pace because that means earlier in, you know, the training season, you're getting a really nice, you know, neuromuscular stimulus. You're, you're really practicing the pace that you're going to be running, even if it's only for a short time. Uh, and, and that I think is really important for muscle memory. And, and easing that transition between, you know, the kind of relatively easier workouts early in a season to the, to the more challenging ones later on. There's a misconception maybe that even pro runners are, you know, they're fast all the time. If you told me to go run a whatever 50 second 400, I'd be able to do it any time of the year, but I'd struggle pretty dang hard to do that during cross country season. And we do build up uh, throughout the season. So maybe in like, you know, in my fall training, if I were to be told to go do a six or a 460 seconds, yeah, I might be pretty uncomfortable, but come race time in outdoors, I'm able to crush eight of them in a row and, you know, barely be breathing. So it's definitely, it's always a building process, no matter how long you've been doing it. Yeah. And it sounds Henry that kind of, I mean, in now we're talking a little bit more like the college schedule, but from, you know, cross country through the winter into indoor track and then outdoor track in the spring, I think a lot of college coaches treat this as kind of one big season and, you know, you get a little bit of downtime after cross country, maybe even a shorter 
period of downtime after indoor, but I know, you know, some programs don't take any time off after indoor. Um, and, and it's kind of a, a transition from longer races in the fall to, you know, slightly shorter races in an in indoor track, or you can even go the opposite direction and go really short races. Uh, and then you kind of find your goal race in the spring. I always found the indoor track was more like, let's work on your weaknesses. Let's, you know, do an event maybe that you don't focus on. And then in the spring, you can really hammer your goal race. And, and I think, you know, for the purposes of this conversation, I think I want to impress on runners listening that, you know, there's a, an annual strategic progression of workouts and, and really what you're prioritizing in your training over the course of that entire kind of year long plan. And that's really important. And, and I think with runners just think a little bit more long-term, they're going to be more successful. There's, there's for sure a prioritization. I mean, even in college coaches and teams want to do well in indoors, but if you ask a college coach what championship he'd rather win, the indoor or outdoor one, they're going to say outdoor 100% of the time. So indoors is the time to get in shape. You're transitioning from cross country if you're a mid-distance distance runner or from a longer off-season if you're doing the, any other events. Um, but yeah, you you practice a lot. You change, maybe change up your events, maybe just test out different strategies. You race a lot and kind of race yourself into shape at least that's what we did uh, a lot of times at uva and we're happy you obviously you're very happy if you're running well and indoors but it's not the end of the world if you're mid-season you're not running in your best form because hopefully you're going to have a much longer one uh and you're not burning out too soon yeah it's funny that's exactly the the strategy that you know the coaching staff where i went to college took and you know i just went to it i participated in a division three program. So clearly not uh, University of Virginia, but, you know, very same approach to indoor and outdoor track. Um, Let's talk a little bit about kind of the, you know, the faster kind of training that you might do. Do you incorporate sprint work or short repetitions at, you know, say a maximum or or very close to maximum speeds? And and I think I want to know because you know, these are the workouts that are often very unfamiliar to most runners. And and I'm hoping maybe you can walk us through one of these sessions. They're unfamiliar. I think a lot of people might like them more just because they're a little shorter. Uh, I don't know. A lot of people like sprinting. They think it's more fun. I definitely do. But we'll do something that I'm a little unfamiliar with just because it's changed as I've come to start training with the Brooks Beasts. Um, you know, we'll do 150s at the end of a workout or end of a longer session. Maybe we, you know, we'll do quicker 200s to, t- to uh, sharpen up for racing. But the 150s are really what you're talking about. Um, you know, maybe at the end of even a long run, our coach will have us go to the track and try to, you know, maybe 90, 95% run a 150 and kind of see where we're at there. Practice our mechanics, um, and, you know, and just tone that speed. It's he, our coach, Danny. Mackie likes to change it up so you'll be doing a long run and then he'll want you to do a little speed afterwards just to kind of shock the body and get it you know change up the uh change up the systems that are being used yeah these 150s do you do you run them so you said about 90 95 percent effort uh is that for the entire 150 or do you do them sort of as kind of broken up into uh, a build a more of a sprint and then a deceleration it's it depends on the day sometimes we're going to go you know almost all out for the entire one just to kind of get a, a base of what our speed's looking like at the time. But other times, you know, it is a, it's a build. You know, it'll tell us to go mile pace for the first 50 meters, pick it up from there, and then the last 50 meters really start ripping it just to kind of understand what 
what you're going to feel like uh, in a race when the you need to like change your turnover, if you know what I'm saying, towards the end of the race when you know, you're, not, you're going faster and faster and then maybe somebody jumps you and you need to all of a sudden be going all out. One of the really interesting things to me about middle distance races is the nuance of speed. And, you know, I think, you know, the way that you're describing these 150s, it's kind of mile pace and then you're, you know, picking it up and then you're letting it really rip the last 50. This is a very nuanced discussion of kind of top end speed. And I think when most runners talk about sprinting, they're like, okay, I have, you know, I have like my fastest pace I possibly can. And then there's, there's almost nothing until you get to like mile pace, but there's so many paces in between your mile pace and a flat out 100% maximum speed. And I, I love that, you know, what you're really practicing is almost like this, this very gentle pressing on the accelerator and you're going a little bit faster and it's knowing that nuance so that when you're in a race, you can respond to challenges, you can surge, you can slow down. And it's almost like you have control, you know, over your pace by, you know, a second per mile, two seconds a mile. And you can do that based on, you know, uh, every hundred meters, you can change it just a little bit. And I think when runners incorporate more um, speed development work, when they incorporate more of these shorter, much faster repetitions, they get a better understanding of top end speed and and all kind of the the, the shades of gray around 99% effort and 98% effort and really what that feels like. And I think knowing what that feels like and kind of internalizing that is really critical for success. I agree. I'm, I think the most important part about being able to change your gears and do it smoothly is, you know, in a race, somebody might come around you or you got 400 meters left, you got 300 meters left. And all of a sudden there's somebody on your shoulder and they're blowing past you. You didn't see them coming. If you're watching a race, even at the top level, the Olympics, you'll see the runners who haven't necessarily trained that ability to smoothly change gears and pick it up just that one extra notch to be able to either hold off the the aggressor on the outside shoulder or just stick with them if they pass them. Um, a lot of people will be caught off guard. And I think if you don't train the ability just to gradually and comfortably change your gear, just notch it down. Even like I said, if it's one or two notches, then you're going to, you're going to be hurting when somebody jumps you on, on, you know, 400, 300 to go. I'm envisioning someone listening to this right now, not liking the subjectivity of you saying something like, you know, let it rip or let's just take it down another notch. But I think that's the whole point here is that it is subjective and you really can't put a number on it. You just have to go and learn it for yourself through trial and error and running by feel and doing that for a long time. And you'll finally kind of understand it. I agree. It's uh when I say take it down a notch, that's a lot different for me than it is for somebody who just started running. And if you are doing these faster changes and you're understanding your speed more, you'll understand what, you know, bring it down one notch means. It could be three seconds. It could be one second on your pace, but it's, it really is subjective and how you feel. And really it's not even, for me, it's not even, narrowed down to an exact science. When somebody says take it down a notch, it's kind of just what I'm feeling at the moment. Yeah, exactly. It's subjective and that's okay. I think that's, that's you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of running by feel. I think so many runners right now are, you know, totally slaves to their GPS watches and, and you know, they, they need that that 
real-time feedback at all times. And, and, you know, that starts to interfere with your ability to know your own body and, you know, kind of respond to the signals that, that it's teaching you. Um, hey, we're talking about workouts. Can you walk us through the hardest workout you might have done recently? I'm always fascinated by the really, really difficult stuff. Probably one of the harder workouts we've done recently was indoors at the Dempsey in Seattle before heading to uh, altitude camp. I'm currently in Albuquerque. We've been here for about a month. But before we left, we did, I guess what you'd say is one of those benchmark workouts, kind of seeing where you're at and what type of shape you're in. But we did uh, four sets of six, five, four, three, two. And that's 600, 400, or 500, 400. Um, and then at the end, after all those reps, which was about, I don't even know, maybe three miles of work, we just did an all-out 600. And so it was me and my teammate Isaac Yorks just going from the going from the gun, just seeing exactly how fast we could run, and just leaving it all out there. That sounds awful. So <laughs> um, yeah, so there were six. <laughs> it was sets. There were six sets of six, five, four, three, two, one. It was actually it was four. So yeah, that's a lot of reps. What kind of times are you running for these for these various reps? The reps themselves, until we got to that last all out one, were not crazy or anything. They just more or less to put miles in your legs, get you tired and kind of see what you can do after you're fatigued. And so that was what the 600 was for. But I'm blanking on the exact uh, the exact paces for the 600 and 500. I think the 400 was around 62. Maybe 300 was like 45. 200 was about 29, 30. So kind of just built, those are all around the same paces, just getting longer. So it sounds like the kind of longer reps were maybe closer to 5k pace. And then maybe you kind of went 3k to mile and then a little bit faster at the end. Mm -hmm. And then that last 600, we, we hit a 121. So that was pretty much all out. (laughs) Yeah. Is that, is that kind of, you know, if you were fresh, might you be able to do that for 800, continue that pace? Uh, That's what the, the goal would be. Hopefully. I mean, a lot of 800 guys, who are trying to run, you know, 145, 146 will come through in about 119, 120. So yeah, I would hope that 121 would be a comfortable enough pace. Awesome. Um, I know for middle distance runners, the weightlifting and strength component of the program is more important than say, if you were an ultra marathoner, do you spend time in the gym and you know, maybe what, what are some of the goals of, of the strength training that you do? Yeah, we, we spend a lot of time. We work out after, or we go to the gym after every workout. And so I think it's really important. It was something that we did a little bit of in college, but was always an area that I thought could use improvement. So I'm glad that now that I've gone transition to being a pro that we do more of that um we're working on actually you know some people say that you should just do low or higher reps and lower weights as a mid-distance runner but we do a little bit higher weights just trying to get the explosiveness since you know most of the other time we're working on the endurance part of our portion of our races and things like that so we do the explosive maybe box step ups with a with a bar on our back or box jumps things like that just to work on that explosiveness that is not always hit on in practice. Yeah. I've actually been learning a lot about strength training for runners over the last uh, year or so. And one of the things I've really noticed is that there's this huge misconception about how runners should be strength training. And you're absolutely right. There's so many, uh, not just runners, but coaches too, who advocate, you know, kind of lifting for endurance. So you're lifting low weight for high reps, but 
you know, runners, they, we get enough endurance, you know, you're running 70 miles a week, you're, <laughs> you're, you're the stimulus for endurance is very strong in, you know, the running that you're already doing. And I, I think one of the most helpful ways for me to really internalize the goal of strength work is it is to complement your running and give you physical skills that you don't get when you're out there running. So things like absolute strength or your ability to lift more weight, uh, things like power, you know, producing a lot of force very quickly, which clearly is super important. I think the shorter the race and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that. I'm glad to hear that, you know, you're doing some awesome strength training right now. Um, how, how, much, how long are your strength training workouts? They're typically around an hour. So, uh, they change up, they change up on a two week cycle. Our coach likes to just kind of keep it fresh and hit different systems when he's giving us, um, different workouts. You know, sometimes we'll do a circuit, sometimes we'll do heavier, uh, you know, squatting, that kind of thing. And I was just going to add to what you're saying before. Yeah. I think it is a fallacy that you need to be doing a lot of endurance based strength work. I know I definitely believed it when I was in high school and my early years of college, but I think, like you said, you want to be able to complement complement your workouts because you know you go out there and doing a 15 mile long run you don't necessarily need to go do a bunch of endurance work in the gym you might as well work on something that you don't get all the time exactly and it's it's almost exactly like your coach having you do 150s at 90 percent or 95 percent after a long run you know why isn't he having you do some tempo repetitions or something like that during the final miles of your long run well it's because you're already getting a really strong aerobic stimulus from that kind of a run you want to complement it shake things up and give your body you know a different stimulus and, that, and that's the same thing that we see in the weight room different stimulus for different skills and one of the most important sorry one of the most important things in the weight room that I've been learning is if you can get your power up and kind of keep around the same weight, you know, not getting too much muscle, but you're able to lift more, you're going to be faster. So that's something we shoot for. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, if you just get stronger and stay the same weight, uh, you know, you're going to be a better runner. Simple as that. And, and I think a lot of runners are scared of lifting in the gym because they're going to put on some pounds and, you know, I've a, like the science just isn't there to support that notion. And B, I haven't seen it. You know, I've uh, been on a college team like Henry, you have, you've probably lifted in the gym with a lot of guys, a lot of distance runners, middle distance runners. And, you know, they're not bulking up. They're not building all this huge muscle. It's almost impossible to do that. If you're running any kind of mileage, even like 30 miles a week, it's very difficult because the signals are just different. You know, running is, um, catabolic. It breaks down muscle tissue in excess and weightlifting is anabolic. It builds up muscle tissue in excess. So, you know, you're kind of getting these, these competing signals to your body and you're certainly not going to, you know, come out of that gym looking like a bodybuilder. If you spend, you know, two hours in the weight room per week, that's certainly not going to happen. Yeah. It needs to be, I mean, if you want to gain weight, this is always something that I was worried about, you know, not knowing too much about the science behind lifting and running and all that kind of stuff when I was younger. It, you know, I was worried about the same thing that I was going to gain too much weight, that I was going to gain too much muscle. But, you know, I've learned that that you to gain muscle or to gain more weight, you really have to do that on purpose. It's it's not an accident if you're all of a sudden bulking up. It's probably something outside of the gym that's that's changing. Yeah, I forget who I was talking to. And they were talking to me about bodybuilders and, and people who are really focused on hypertrophy or muscle growth. And, you know, these are people who 
it's their number one goal in life to get bigger muscles. Uh, just like a lot of runners do, you know, the number one goal is to get faster and, uh, they're working so hard at it and it's so difficult and it's just a slap in the face to these bodybuilders that us skinny runners think that we're going to put on all this weight by doing, you know, these relatively short workouts, you know, two, maybe three times a week in the gym. It just doesn't happen. Just like the bodybuilder, if he goes on a 30 minute run twice a week is not all of a sudden going to become a marathoner. Yeah. I think something people don't think about is those bodybuilders are probably eating around 20,000 calories a day. <laughs> so unless you're you know, having a Thanksgiving turkey every single day, I don't think you're going to have to worry about becoming the next Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, just not going to happen. Uh, a lot of people, I know I was worried as well, are worried about drinking protein shakes after working out or in the gym because of the you know, same type of thing we've been talking about. They're going to gain too much muscle. But I would have to say drink protein shakes after working out, after going to the gym because it's going to help you build muscle in a good way and not gang weight, which I think a lot of people are worried about. Yeah. You, I, I think a good way to think about that too, is you're not drinking protein to build more muscle. You're drinking or, or eating that protein to really rebuild your damaged muscles. And you have damaged your muscles through the running workout that you did and the weight training session that you just did. So, you know, the protein's not there to like build up all this huge muscle mass. It's there just to uh, prevent unnecessary muscle damage from kind of staying there and not recovering properly. All right, let's uh, let's transition to racing the mile because I know this is much more of a tactical event. How do you think about kind of the tactical side of racing the mile? My tactics have changed quite a bit over the years. Um, you know, obviously when I was starting off in college, not being one of the top guys, I was more worried about just sticking with the leaders, trying to mimic their moves um just run a fast pace as i got a little better and more dominant i was able to control the races myself i thought i actually enjoyed running from the front i know a lot of people don't do that and there's all everybody saying oh you're using extra energy to cut through the wind all that kind of stuff but it i think it benefited my style going back once again to my strength base uh training but you know if you're out in front you're not getting tripped up in the pack you're not having to change on a dime if somebody takes off you kind of know what's happening and you can be the one who's uh you know leading the race and, and kind of telling people what to do based on your actions yeah is that how you prefer to race do you like to now lead from the front if you can i think now it's going to change again just because i'm in a, a bigger pond with faster fish i don't know <laughs> but yeah so now that i'm a pro i'm gonna maybe go back to trying to just judge my racing off of what other people are doing around me and what the leaders are doing. But I, as a, as a senior and junior in college, when I was racing very well, I did like to be the one out front who was dictating the pace and when we were going to make our moves and when we we're going to start uh, running faster or slower. Yeah. Speaking of you dictating the pace and controlling the race earlier today, I watched uh, a video of you winning the mile at the 2015 NCAA indoor championships and your final 800 was 154 after running the first 800 in 211. So clearly this is a kicker's race and uh you know I, I know how hard it can be to hammer the last half of a mile. What can you walk us through especially someone who's never raced a mile, especially not as fast as you have, what goes through your head when you have 600 meters left in a race and someone 
tries to pass you and you realized, okay, now's the time I got to move. And all of a sudden you're running pretty much as fast as you can go. It's a bit of a shock, uh, especially if you're not used to it. Um, I obviously, that was my first indoor mile championship and I was pretty nervous. So I wasn't sure what to expect in the race and nobody wanted to dictate the pace. So I just decided to go out there. I was going to run slow until somebody went around me. So I was waiting for that moment and it happened kind of when I thought, thought it was going to. I thought it was going to happen between 800 and 600. So luckily because of that planning, I wasn't too shocked. But when you change gears from what is pretty much a jog to just running as hard as you can, it can be shocking and you just have to you know, make the decision in your own mind that, all right, this is the moment I'm going to go for it. I'm going to run as hard as I can because you don't have it. If you don't go with that move at the exact moment, that might be the race. It reminds me of something my high school cross country coach used to tell us in a race. He would always stand on the side of the course, you know, with maybe a mile to go, a kilometer to go in a 5k. And when he saw us, he said, now's the time it's time to make a decision. And it was such a great line from the coach because to me, it always just meant, and, and he would you know, kind of communicate this to us, you know, it means you have a decision to make. You can either go hard or you can go home. And I always liked that because he just made it a very simple decision. Because even though if you're hurting, you're like, well, I don't want to let down my teammates. I don't want to have a bad race. I'm going to remember this race for so long. Can I just suck it up for another minute or two? And so I, I kind of like that, you know, it's almost like a switch is flipped in your head. and. Um, it also brings me back to that workout that you were describing earlier with, you know, four sets of uh, six, five, four, three, two. And then at the end, you had an all out 600. It's almost like that 600 was the shock. And you have to almost practice that really, not just physically, but mentally difficult task of switching gears from what was basically a jog, like you said, to, you know, running really, really hard. Uh, is that something that you practice in training often? It, it's something we like to think about every once in a while, especially as uh, our racing season rolls around, just because in that instance, when I did the 600, that's a controlled a moment, you know, you have the ability, you have a couple minutes of rest in between reps and you have the ability to think about it. You're like, all right, am I going to really go for this? And in racing, you might not have, you have about, you know, who knows, less than a second to make that decision. So I think it's good in a, uh, a controlled setting to be able to get yourself to push yourself to the limit and really think about it to get yourself ready for the moments in racing when you just have you know the snap of the fingers to decide am i really going to go for this is this going to be the moment that i either win the race or lose the race let me ask you a tough question how do you train for the the kick how do you train to close a mile that that fast because i mean you ran the final 800 and 154 uh a lot of runners you know are never going to run that for 400 meters uh so walk us through kind of like how do you uh, how, do, how do you think about training for that final kick? And then maybe what are some good workouts that train that ability? I think the good ones are, you know, the shorter stuff, like the maybe the 200s, 300s, 400s, where you're really going at a pace where you're probably not going to run the, you know, maybe running a 20, for me, 26 second, 200 in a workout. I'm not going to be running 26 seconds as my pace for my mile, but that might be what the last 200 of the race needs. So you want to be able to be comfortable running whatever pace you think you know whether you're running sub four mile or you're just going out there and running as best as you can whatever pace you want to be able to close in you should try to 
to get comfortable, do a few reps of those in workouts just to kind of know what it feels like and do it at the end of a workout after you've already tired yourself out a little bit. So you get the stimulus and you know kind of what the feeling is like to go all out after you know, you've already tied yourself out, maybe doing a little tempo, maybe doing longer intervals. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. And I think just the general concept of, you know, trying to run fast when you're already tired is, is a good one to remember. It's not, you know, racing is, is an exercise in fatigue management. And when you can practice that in training and ask your body to do similar things that you're going to ask it on race day, then you're going to be more prepared than the rather than the runner who hasn't thought about these things, you know, as they're preparing for the race. Yeah. I, and if, I mean, if you go out there and you, you're fresh and everything's going perfectly and you can run super fast, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter if you can't do that at the end of being fatigued because that's what really matters in races. Yeah. And I think that's where the strength comes in. It's really, I think, you know, everything is connected. You know, you're not, you're, you're doing 16 mile long runs and you're also doing one fifties as sometimes at, you know, almost a max effort. So, you know, the, clearly for the mile, there needs to be a wide variety of, of paces and, and purposes for each training uh, session. And I, I think when we get to a more tactical short race, like the mile, it becomes a lot more evident. All right, Henry, this has been awesome. Uh, thanks so much for walking us through this, this race and how you approach it. I also want to say congrats for signing with the Brooks Beasts Track Club. Uh, what's the next big goal for you? What are you chasing right now? Right now, we have the U.S. Championships this weekend in Albuquerque Sunday. I'll be racing 4.11 p.m. Mountain Standard Time if anybody wants to watch. Uh, doing the 1500 there, hopefully just trying to get top two in that race i don't have the world standard qualifier this year just because i didn't go and chase it but if you get top two that means you would have made the team so i'd be very happy just to show that i'm you know up and coming and ready to start vying for some of these teams and then going forward try to pr in the mile uh later in the indoor season and then get ready for a good outdoor season where i'll really start racing well and then hopefully go to europe this summer and do some of those those big meets Awesome. Sounds like a really exciting year for you. Now, this is your first full year of being a pro. Is that right? Yes. All right. So you are kind of just getting into the swing of things. Hopefully, um, you know, you mentioned not maybe not controlling the pace in, in most races like you were used to when you were in college. Uh, but hopefully you could still compete and hang on and, um, you know, be a good competitor out there. Yeah, that's, that's the goal. And, you know, go out there and just give it my all. And somebody comes around me, I'm going to take that moment to say, make the conscious decision that I want to go with them, like we were talking about. <laughs> and there you have my conversation with Brooks Beast's miler, Henry Wynn. After we stopped the recording, he told me this was actually his first appearance on a podcast. So I have to thank him for getting out of his comfort zone and doing something new for the strength running community. That's not always easy to do. I also want to thank my friend and former college track teammate, Jake, for putting me in touch with Henry. Finally, before you pause me, let's talk about Inside Tracker really quickly. Here's how it works. Once you buy a package on their website, they'll email you a form that lets you go to a lab like LabCorp or Quest Diagnostics, and you'll give a few vials of blood. Those vials are then tested for over 40 different biomarkers, everything from different vitamins and minerals and hormones like testosterone, cortisol, human growth hormone, and a bunch of others. And so that's the interesting part. 
finding out what you're deficient in so you can then correct things before your next big race. So if your cortisol is high, you know to dial back your training because that's a really good indication of potential overtraining or simply being in an overstressed state. If your testosterone is low, they'll give you strategies for increasing it so you can both run faster and recover more quickly. And I think that's why it's been so popular among elite runners, because they can use it to detect overtraining or other deficiencies that they can then correct. Like they say, it's like taking a selfie from the inside. And if you go back to episode 34 with Magda Boulay, you can see how she used the testing service before and after the Western States endurance run to optimize her performance and her post-race recovery. So if you're training for a difficult race, you want to ramp up your recovery, or you're just searching for another way to improve, you can get 10% off any of the tests they have at InsideTracker.com with code STRENGTHRUNNING at checkout. It's not case sensitive. It can be used on any tier. It's one word. They have affordable do-it-yourself kits to the ultimate package, which is what I did. I found it wonderful. And if you just use code STRENGTHRUNNING to claim your 10% savings at InsideTracker.com, you will be all set. That's it from me today, guys. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk soon. Mm -hmm.